As you know, we're in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Uh, if you remember from last time, uh, chapter 5, Paul had explained what, you know, to do when there's open immorality in the congregation. That was a pretty tough chapter. And so now he comes back in chapter 6 and he explains to the congregation how they should handle certain things that are going on in the church at a, in a, at, at a different level. First, he's going to talk about, uh, you know, them avoiding lawsuits with one another. Then he's going to transition back over and talking about the immorality that was going on in the church. And now in order to get an appreciation for what he's going to try to do with the immorality and all that, you've got to understand what we said early on about the Corinthian church. This was a church that was coming out of paganism. This was a church that was a multicultural city. A lot of people came through there. They believed in pagan, all kinds of pagan worship. They believed in all types of gods. So all these people were there in this melting pot. And now some of those people started getting saved and coming to the church. You know, quite naturally, when they get saved and come to the church, they're going to bring some of the world with them. I mean, and so therefore, that's why they have to be taught and educated. So this letter tonight... You know, in this chapter, he started dealing with, with uh, lawsuits against one another. Now, what I need for you to get you to see in this is that this is not talking about when someone commit a major crime against you or something like that. This is, this is talking about little petty lawsuits. That, this would be like, say, for instance, Major, you got a, a little handyman service, and, and you come and paint my house. And, uh, and I say, and you tell me you're going to charge me $1,000. And when you finish painting the house, I look at it and say, okay, Major, I ain't paying you because I don't like, well, I don't like the job you did. That's, that's a pickle. So he's saying, versus Major and me ended up in court over $1,000, we ought to be able to sit down as Christians and figure out what is the right answer. This ain't talking about if I murdered somebody and all that. And this is not giving the church license to try to hide sin, criminal sins in the church. But this is talking about like for, for small things that people ought to be able to sit down and reason out amongst themselves that you don't have to take that thousand dollars to judge Judy. You know, and now we got to get in there cutting the fool in front of her and, and we go, both go to church. And, and you know, and, and so he said, hey, there ought to be some people in the church that's wise enough that can kind of sit down and say, okay, let's look at the agreement that Major and Pastor had. Pastor said he wanted blue. Major put up blue, but Pastor said this ain't the blue that he wanted. Major said that it is the swatch that he had. So now, can we reach a compromise? Major, that ain't really the one I wanted, but it is blue. But I ain't going to give you $1,000. Will you take 800 and call it a day? And now Major got to say, well, it is not the exact color that, I, that you wanted, but I can live with that. But if Major going to play hardball, I said, no, well, Doc, we're going to court for $200. Because that's all we different now. It ain't about the 1000 It's about 200 now. And he said sometimes those type of things among Christians should not end up in the court system. You know. Mike, get a mic, Major. Major said, what if it's a, a civil suit and it's small? Go ahead. But, but you're dealing with somebody that's, that's not a Christian, that's, that's unsaved. 
So do you still, so me as a Christian, I would still have that same mindset. Hey, can we come to some agreement? And, and, and that's okay. And I think that would be commendable because if you could come to some agreement, that may serve as a testimony to that person. Okay? But, and, and so, the, and, but he was saying here now, we got two Christians that can't come to agreement. You know, and we're going to see, and we learned that when Jesus said, you know, if you got an ought, you go to your brother. In, in, in the church where it's supposed to be, you go to your brother. If you and your brother can agree, you don't have to get nobody else involved. Everything will be good. But if you can't agree, you're supposed to go back with a couple witnesses and hash it out. And if you still can't agree, then now you bring it before the whole church and try to figure it out before you end up in court. Now, in the Old Testament, when you read Deuteronomy, Leviticus, and books like that, Numbers, God had laws for almost everything, rules for how they were supposed to conduct themselves with each other and all that. And so he understood that, that everything he didn't want into the world system. They had their own system. It was only, you know, when the Romans came around that there were certain things the Romans would not allow the Jews to do. That's why Jesus couldn't have been crucified by the Jews. They have to indict him and then turn him over to the Romans. But certain things, they could have their own little tribunal and hold their own courts. And so, so what he's trying to get them to see here is that there are certain things that can happen amongst Christians that should not end up in the court system. If, if all possible. Now, and, and, for, and for everybody to understand clearly, I'm not talking about when the church is cutting the food. When the youth pastor is messing with the little girl. And then now we go, we're going to handle that before the church. No, no, no. We're going to call the authorities and let them investigate that. Okay? But if the youth pastor ding Major's car there in the parking lot and ain't got a little scratch on it, I'm going to hope Major's going to say, hey, man, come on, man, I just get a little touch up. We're going to call it a day. Or you give me $500, I'll go get my car fixed. And, that, and that's it. So keep in mind the context that we're reading in tonight, and I think that'll help us here. When we look at this, so we're in chapter 6 of 1 Corinthians. He says, now, when one of you has a dispute with another believer, how dare you file a lawsuit and ask a secular court to decide the matter instead of taking it to other believers? So obviously they had a court system back then, and Paul was telling them that everything that happens amongst believers don't necessarily need to go before some judge who may, not, may or may not know God, know God's standards, know God's principles. So therefore, if you can work it out amongst yourself, even nowadays, when you, it used to be a time you have a little accident every time the highway patrol, everybody coming. Now them guys ain't gonna even show up unless somebody got hurt. They're gonna say, okay, y'all just exchange driver's license and insurance information, and if ain't nobody hurt, y'all figure it out. Because they figure that everything don't warrant that level of investigation. But, and so it's, what he's saying here is that there are certain things that can happen amongst believers that really is, is not worthy of a lawsuit. And, and, and if it's going to have to be a lawsuit, then you ought to sit down with other believers and try to figure out, is there a way the major can get past this? It's almost like later on it's going to sound like the Jesus teaching on, you know, uh, Almost you turn the other cheek. Because that's what it's going to sound like later on. So, you know, turn. And, and, you know, and I know a lot of y'all ain't into that. We ain't conditioned to turn the other cheek. No, we ain't going to pay you back. 
You did this? I'm going to get back. But, but every now and then, we're going to have to figure out what battle we really need to fight when it comes to other believers, you know. And, and so, but I'm not telling anybody here, you know, somebody wreck your car, yeah, man, go see your chiropractor. That's what you got insurance for. You go see your chiropractor, and, and, and you, get your, you get your claim in, and you get your benefits. Amen. But if it's just a little door ding, you may be able to give, forgive Major for that one. Put a little touch up on it. Say, he didn't mean to hurt my car. You know, I ain't finna make him take it to get a whole new paint job. So he said, now look, obviously God didn't intend for his people to always be in courts. Now, another area here is that the church, when it comes to believers getting divorced, the church really has no, can, cannot stop that. If people want to do that, people want to do that, that's a legal system that we got to, they can do that. Now, the Catholic Church was really hard on that by saying, if you do, then you could be excommunicated because they didn't think uh, that you had to have some serious ground to get divorced. But, but when we start talking about getting into the legal system for those type matters, then yeah, this is not what this is talking about. You may have to lawyer up. If y'all can't agree and you got to fight for custody of certain things in your family, you may have to lawyer up. That's okay. But hopefully if you're doing it God's way, you won't get there. But if you do get there, that's what the court system is for. So keep all that in mind as we read on, because he's not talking about stuff of that magnitude. He's talking about little things. He said, now look, look, in verse 2, don't you realize that someday we will judge the world? And since you are going to judge the world, can't you decide even these little things amongst yourselves? Now, that judging the world piece is talking about Jesus' second coming. <clears throat> excuse me, where believers is going to reign with him. And so therefore he said, someday, so when that happens, at some point in time, when we're going to judge the world, then why are we here fighting each other over these little petty things? We ought to be able to solve these little petty things, these little disputes, because life is bigger than these little petty things that we're arguing with each other about when we're supposed to be mature Christian believers. And that goes back to the beginning of this book, because there was a very immature church. You know, he told them early on in chapter 3, I can't teach you everything because you're still corner-minded. You think like the world, you act like the world, you do things like the world, even though you're in the church. You have not grown out of that. And so that's some of the things that he's still battling here in chapter 6 because, again, there are worldly-minded Christians because salvation is based upon you know, you accepting Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. So it's a belief system that kicks in. But there are a lot of times when people believe that, they still act more worldly, in the Bible call it carnal-minded, fleshly-minded, than they do spiritually-minded. That spiritual-minded piece is a growing process. It takes time to grow. Finley, go ahead. I had a question about verse 1 uh, you were talking about. Uh, the way I'm kind of, the way I'm reading it, and correct me if I'm wrong, it kind of sounds like, you know, if you have an issue, you need to take it to the church or find, or find a believer to, to work it on out. And, you know, you gave an example of, you know, divorce and uh, say if you had an auto accident and all that. Um, in that, in that manner, uh, what, what, what should you, should you like go on, you know, say if you don't have a phone to Google like a, I guess, a, you know, a Christian based, you know, auto repair, you know, at that moment, you just need help, <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> 
And so say if you, uh, I guess the way I would kind of read dispute, it could be either from even like a little, you know, like a little, I guess, back and forth argument, you know what I mean, that you may have had with a, a coworker or whoever, you know. And so, you know, when, well, how, how do you kind of figure that out when you're having those disputes? You know, you want to, you know, let, let the Lord work in you. But at the same time, the way I'm reading this verse is that this should only be done, you know, with a believer. And if it's a non-believer, you don't need to worry about it. Just keep, just keep it, you know, keep moving. Well, now, that, that could be a, a way of reading that. But then the same thing, I think that a principle is, is a principle. It's good. So if, if that principle will work for a believer, then I think for petty matters, you can be willing to forgive a non-believer. You know, he, not, he wasn't talking to them in this case, but you could be. You say, hey, man, this ain't really that big of a deal. I mean, some of y'all had to call Dean and, and, and the paper person stand there, and you didn't ask them what they saved or not. You'd say, okay, just do a Dean, man. I can touch it up. But you could come back and say, well, man, look, I'm going to take you to the auto shop over here, and they're going to tell me how much it's going to cost to fix that Dean, and I'm going to send you a bill for it. Give me your information. That's your call. That's your call. But what he was saying here is that, hey, in the church, if it is at all possible for small matters, work them out in the church before you go to the secular world. That's all he's saying. If it is all possible. And, and some churches have and set up tribunals, a board of elders, board of such, such and such to oversee certain things like this, you know. In 20-some-odd years of striving, you know, we, we've never had to have no situation like that where two people, if they argued about it, I didn't get involved. You know, somebody did some work for somebody and they had a problem with them, they must have worked it out among themselves, but nobody has brought anybody before striving and say, hey, we had an agreement, they were going to paint my house and they didn't do it and da-da-da, now I'm finna sue them, so pastor, what you think? They, they either figure it out or they just go ahead and do it and I never hear about it. So, so, but here, apparently, because these people were still thinking more carnal-minded than they were spiritual-minded, their mindset was that, hey, they would rather argue over small things, small matters, instead of get the bigger picture, the bigger truth that God is trying to get them to see. It, that if it's your brother and your sister, you ought to be able to work these things out without running the court. You know, and, and I tell people, even people who are married and they decide that for whatever reason they got ground and they, they done. I mean, they, they threw. They done heard Pastor Spill on stand Mary and all this and all that, but they just threw. I tell them, hey, look, man, if y'all can settle this before y'all get to the court system, you're going to be a whole lot better off. But once you lawyer up, it's going to be on. If y'all can sit down and write an agreement out, especially if you ain't got kids and all that, you got to fight for custody and all that, it's just y'all too. If you can sit down and just write up an agreement that y'all willing to live with, you can save yourself by $5,000. Because a cheap divorce is going to cost you $5,000. That's a cheap one. Now, if you're going for the juggler, <laughs> then you're going to, you, I found that in no situation, whoever got the most money normally win the day because they got the lawyer who can devote all the resources to that particular case. And I've seen some things that I thought was unfair, but the other person just had more money. And in the, in the American judicial system, for the most part, money kind of runs the system. It's sad to say, 
I just have seen it happen to too many people that if you can't lawyer up and get the best lawyers, it, it's going to be hard to get off. So I try to tell, tell people, stay out of the system. Don't get caught up in the system. Even if you're married, try not to get into that system if you just got to do that. Then realize it's going to get ugly when you get into the man system. That's just the, just the way it is. He says, now look in verse 3. Don't you realize that we will judge angels? So you surely, so you should, should surely be able to resolve ordinary disputes in this life. There's a life coming that's different from this life. And in that life, you're going to reign with Christ, and you're going to be able to judge angels. Now, judging angels there has two connotations, meaning that some think that means that as believers reigning with Jesus, we're going to reign over those fallen angels, okay? And, and the other side of that coin say, no, that means that even the angels in heaven are going to be subject to y'all. When you get up there, they're going to be subject. Either way, he says, at some point in time, when you realize that, you ought to put aside all these little petty disputes. Because they, they're small compared to, you know, compared to what you have in store for you. He says, to resolve ordinary disputes. Ordinary disputes. And I told you this before. Jesus' solution to ordinary disputes was this. Got all against Finley? Go see Finley. If Finley, you can work it out, y'all ain't got to tell nobody. It's a done deal. It's over. But if you and Finley still beefing, then you got to get a couple witnesses and let them hear what you and Finley beefing about. Still can't solve it? Then now you got to bring the matter before the whole church and say, okay, this is what we think needs to be done. What's the impact of the church? Okay, do Finley need to be excommunicated or they need to be separated? What needs to happen? But I'm just using that as an example. The churches sometimes do have to get that level involved, especially when it's going to have an impact on the church. And again, this church was a divided church already because they were divided on the personality of the ministers who was presenting the word to them. And so now we see that that carnality continued to exist. He said, now look, if you have legal disputes about such matters, why go out to outside judges who are not respected by the church? That don't mean that the church disregard, have a disregard for judges. It just means that what they're saying is that they realize that most judges are not spiritually minded. They're carnal minded. So therefore, they don't respect how they may rule on a particular case because they're not going to look at things from God's point of view. Now, in fairness to our system, in America, a lot of the laws that we have on the books now, some of those same laws can be found in the Bible. Some of the things that used to be in the Bible that said it was against the law used to be against man's law, but then now some of those laws have changed. So, so therefore, I think our judicial system is, is not as bad as some countries' judicial system. I do think we have a fairly decent one because the, 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 the laws kind of coincide with the Bible. Very seldom do you find a law that would go against God's law. But every now and then, like now we're living in a culture and a time where there's some laws that goes against God's law. And when a law go against God's law, as believers, we have to make up in our mind are uh, we going to side with God, what God say or what, would, what the culture say? And that's a tough question that, that we have to answer for ourselves in, in, when it comes to that. But that in America, we have been blessed because there's always been this notion of a separation between church and state. So we don't want y'all to get in our business, y'all don't get in, the, and we won't get in y'all business, and so therefore we don't want to, no, no system want to look like they're coming against the church, okay? 
But at the same time, now there are people that will sue churches. I mean, so it's not uncommon, especially if they think that the church is not giving them something they want, depending on the situation. And so, but what we have to do is as believers, the context here is how do we respect one another, man, so that we don't get to that point where we have to end up in a situation where we got to sue each other, you know, over small things, not big things, okay? He says, in verse 5, he says, I am saying this to shame you. Man, that was pretty bold right there. He says, isn't there anyone in all the churches, all the church, who is wise enough to decide these issues? There ought to be some people in here that's wise enough just to know simple right and wrong. We don't need to go to court on that one. We ought to be just sit down and figure this one out and see right and wrong. And then the parties got to agree today. We done looked at it. We done brought it before wise people in the church. And here's what the wisdom say. Then that's what? We're going to trust the wisdom of the church. Well, pastor, if we have, if you're having a dispute, you know, this is a, who, who, who do you go to here at Striving for to handle those disputes? <laughs> You know, right now, that's a good question, Finley. Because depending on the dispute, if, because we never had to have one of these tribunals set up. The first thing I would probably do if someone came to me, if I, if, if I wasn't going to deal with it directly myself, I would probably toss that back to the tribe leader. Whichever tribe they're on, y'all got deacons and ministers on there, hear the situation out and seeking y'all solve it right there. If not, then y'all bring it on up to me. But I wouldn't want to try to jump in. If I would probably do that do it that way here in Strive. And I will hope our tribe leaders are wise enough and our deacons are wise enough to say, listen to it. Not a complex case, but a simple case. These are not complex cases. These are simple cases that they will be wise enough to say, man, I can see right and wrong in that and this is what our recommendation is for you. Okay? Now look at this. But instead, one believer sues another. This is verse 6 right in front of unbelievers. What he's saying is that, man, that it's a lose-lose proposition for the church because the world is always looking for an excuse to come in, blame, throw stones at the church, and most of the time, it is church people who give them the stones to throw. And so whenever we carry out things like that, now the world can come back and say, man, why do I even know to need to go to that church over there? Major and pastor can't even get along. They've they been out there bagging groceries for the meal program five years, now Major got pastor in court. Instead of them sitting down and figure out, can we work this out? Because once it get in court, it's going to hit the paper. You know, once it start hitting the paper, you know, we're on the docket, then, oh, man, Major done took pastor to court. What pastor done did? Now, ain't nobody focused on Jesus now. Me and Major's the star. They come to church. Is Major even coming to church anymore? No, we ain't seen Major, man. He ain't sued, Pastor. And I'm saying, that can't be a win for the church. Because it's saying, on small issues, it should never get elevated that high. And most of the time, the Bible says, sometimes it is the little foxes that destroy the vine. 
when it, we ought to be able to say, hey, this is a little fox, man. We ain't going to let this one take us down. We're going to work this thing out. So he says, now, even to have such lawsuits with one another is a defeat for you. Why not just accept this major? You ain't going to like this one. When I read this, I thought about you, major. You may, but you may be agreeing with it because it sounds like you agree with it. He says, why not just accept the injustice and leave it at that? <laughs> you, you, you ain't like that when you read that one? <laughs> when, I, when I read that, I said, oh, Lord, major, that, that major. No, I mean, I didn't because it's saying somebody did you wrong, just eat it. <laughs> I mean, that's basically what it's saying. Turn up cheap. But, but then it, it'll, it'll say further that, hey, if I'm representing God, somebody might see that and say, okay, that's glorifying God. Now, if I get in a shouting match with you, they'll be like, I thought Major was a Christian. Him and passed out in the parking lot fighting over something that small. So, so when I, after I read further, I said, okay, yeah, I, I, I can see that. But just to eat being wrong, <laughs> that's, that's a hard pill to swallow. It, it, it is. It is. But then when you think about, okay, if what I do glorifies God and somebody else sees that, whether they see it or not, if it glorifies God, then it's worth it. Amen. And, and again, I think, again, some of the things that Jesus taught in that first sermon, you know, is it, it, truth, but those truths are hard to accept, you know, because he did say, you know, if your brother slap you on one cheek, you turn the other cheek. If your brother take your cloak, don't go take it back, give it to him. Give it to him. He done stole it. Just go. No, no. He needed it. He stole it. He needed it. Go and give it to him. Now, that dude stole from me, man. Yeah, ain't no way. That wasn't my best coat he done took, you know. But because now, sometimes when you're trying to practice these principles at a higher level, it's easy to talk about these things like in theory just sitting here. But, man, can you really do that? Can you just say, okay, hey, man, it ain't but $500. Let's let it go. Because we're talking petty now. Keep in mind. To, you know, $500, I consider that petty. I don't, but some people, $500 may be a light breaker. I don't know. But, but here, he, he ain't talking about major crime, so let's keep this in mind. Sometimes the little one, you just got to let go. Brother Fred? But, but Pastor, you got some unbelievers in the world that are closer to each other than you got believers in the church. So you got some unbelievers that are willing to say, okay, buddy, we're good friends, just we just write it off. We just forget about it. Where some believers won't say the same thing. And they practice in a principle that we ought to be practicing. Amen. So again, we can't win. That's why he said it's going to make us look bad. If the world understands a principle and is applying it better than the church who's, who, where we have been taught to apply the principle, then that's going to make the church look bad. That's a good point. Any comment, any other comment? Adrian? I, I was just going to add that, but if everybody is operating from the same scripture, like say we do have a disagreement and we're both reading the same text and we have the same understanding, we'll probably both um, come to the, the, the conclusion that, hey, no big deal, no big problem. If we're, if we're both thinking the same way, then it should be easier to resolve some disputes. Amen. Amen. So, so when he says this, 
just accept the injustice and leave it at that. Why not let yourselves, why not let yourselves be cheated? Now look what he said in verse 8. Instead, you yourselves are the ones who do wrong and cheat even your fellow believers. So he's telling these customers, you remember last chapter, they was doing all the wrong in the church and they weren't doing nothing about it. And he's saying, hey, you guys got to work on this because you'll find out you do wrong and you cheat one another when you're supposed to be brothers and sisters when it comes to the relationship and so that you wouldn't want to do anything wrong to your brothers. Now look at this. So, so Pastor, I think I'm kind of where I'm at. I'm with him. <laughs> I still ain't. I'm get, I get the point where it says where I get the perspective of being wrong and how we interpret it. But I'm not getting the perspective of say if you're in the right and somebody does something to you. That's the part I'm I know, I know. That, that's like Jesus said, you're in the right. But he said, turn the other cheek. You're in the right. He took your coat. Then he said, now instead of you going and fight him, I just give it to him. So let's, let's just say, for example, they say <laughs> somebody, there's like a big, some, a big dispute. Say it's somebody, you know, um, but burns your car up or something. You know oh, what I mean? oh well, that, 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 that ain't in the scripture right here, commitment. <laughs> I told you. Now, to do and, 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 you have to go to the court and say something. <laughs> Going over to the court. He says small matters. Small matters, Finley. Small matters. If the dude burned the bins up, man, you gotta take him to court. I mean, you know, he burned the bins up, you gotta take him to court. I mean, a brother, a brother shouldn't even mess with your bins, man, but if he do, you gotta you gotta do what you gotta do. Because your insurance gonna take him. Because right now you got insurance, so if they damage your car, you're just gonna turn the claim over your insurance and they going at it. You ain't going to tell that agent, hey, that's my partner, man, just let him go. <laughs> just let it go. Now, they that, man, that, that ain't how we operate. We're not going to pay for your car. We're going to make his company pay for your car. So this is talking small matters, things that we can work out amongst ourselves. I, I think since we're supposed to be Christ-like, we should ask ourselves, what would Jesus do? You know, in a situation like this, what would he do? And do the same thing you believe the Holy Spirit is leading you to do. So, so. What Jesus would have done. So, in the bins, so you think if I just went out there and taught your bins, you think Jesus is going to say, no, 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 don't no, worry no, about not, it, friend. Not the bins, I'm talking about the small matter. Oh, the small matter. Okay, long feel the same sheet. Long feel the same sheet. I mean, if Jesus had a bins, he'd probably take you to court, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so I agree. I think long we keep it in perspective, the small matters, things that we ought to be able to work out amongst ourselves. He said, now look in verse 9 and 10. He says, don't you realize that those who do wrong continues? Now, he's talking about a practice of these things here now because he's going to start hitting them hard right now. Again, in order for you to get an appreciation of 9, 10, and what he says after this, is you got to understand the Corinthian church. You can't read this and not put that church in the mind you know, a church, you know, that was, like I say, was in the city where uh, the, the goddess Aphrodite temple was there. And, you know, when I looked that up, y'all can just ask Google. Google will tell you all about her. You know, that's the goddess of love. You know, some of y'all got cologne that say Aphrodisiac and all that. That's where they get them Greek gods. The Greek gods and goddesses. Venus. 
was the Roman version of that. So he said, now her temple was there. And so in her temple, they had temple prostitutes. And so these people were familiar with sex and the church working together. Not the church, but religion. So they coming out of that, and now they come to your church thinking, hey, we okay. We, we did that in the other temple. Why can't we do that here in this temple? These ain't nothing but just bodies. They were created for this. And I said, yeah, it sure was. Because this is the area where flesh falls short. I, but I'm just saying, can I read this? Now, just keep in mind, he's talking to the Corinthians, not the strivers. So don't put y'all picture here right now because you'll tune me out. You be, <laughs> let, the, let the Holy Spirit minister to you as I read this, amen? If you're online, just stay with us. It, it's going to get, like the flight attendant said, buckle your seatbelts up. It's about to get some, we're going to hit some choppy air. <laughs> we're going to bounce around a little bit. <laughs> but, 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 but. Put your seatbelt on and hold on tight. Amen? Okay, he said, now look at this, verse 9. He says, don't you realize that those who do wrong, he's talking about now practicing something on a continuous basis, will not inherit the kingdom of God. Then he says, don't fool yourselves. Talking to people who coming out of worldliness. Those who indulge in sexual sin or who worship idols, or commit adultery, or male prostitutes, or practice homosexuality, or thieves, or greedy people, or drunkards, or abusive, or cheat people, none of these will inherit the kingdom of God. So, I mean, when you look at that, and he's saying, calling out, probably most of those things was happening right there in Corinth. And because it was happening in Corinth, then a lot of those folks coming out of that was coming right into the church. You know, we got male prostitutes today. Amen. Folk commit adultery today. Folk commit sexual sin today, right here in Fort Walton Beach. You ain't got to go to Corinth. You know, like I was saying, have y'all ever heard of Baphomet, the term Baphomet, you know, the little, the symbol of the devil? And I would tell somebody, there's devil worshipers right here. I mean, I was at the credit union, and I was, like I told you, I was looking at the young man that was working with me, and I looked at the tattoo on his neck right there. I said, man, that's a devil worshiper. But I ain't going there and call him. There. He was handling my case. You know, he, he got a job. But I looked at that and said, man, can you imagine if he's wearing that symbol, how many other people wearing that symbol have, have bought into the worship of devils and idols? It's happening today. So the basement is kind of like the, the pentagram turned upside down. And you can just ask Google or Siri. She'll tell you. She'll show you a picture of him. And when you, when you see the picture, you just start watching some of these tattoos that walk by you. And some of these kids are tattooed, I mean, just wearing those tattoos. They ain't getting tattooed up like that for no reason. Those symbols represent something. Go ahead, Brother Greg. Question for you. You're speaking of the devil. 
in regards to thinking about college basketball, Duke, Blue Devils. Mm -hmm. With that, they have a fan base, and they're proud to call themselves Blue Devils. Although, again, it's college, what would be your take on that? Oh, man. Not to put you on the spot, Pam. Yeah, yeah, I mean, that, that's a good one. You know, and, 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 and I think when school come up with nicknames, they don't put that much, they don't look at all the symbolism behind it, but the picture, you kind of look like what they think a little devil gonna look like. I, I don't think because the symbol is, that's their mascot, that, that means everybody that go to Duke is a devil worshiper. I mean, you know, I, I just wouldn't put them all in that category, and I wouldn't leave a top university just because they nicknamed with that, because like I, I don't identify with that. I'm here to get education. If they having seances out there and worshiping that little guy, then that's different. I may have to get up out of here. But they ain't doing that. That's just a, that's a mascot that some secular person must have came up with. And said, we're going to call ourselves the Blue Devil. No different than when they fought about the Redskins. Somebody just sit down and say, well, we're going to call these guys the Redskins and then think about what implications could have to what other people could be offended by that. So now we got the Washington Generals, I guess. But took a lot of time. And so there were some people that said that, and, and, and I used to love the Redskins, and I ain't never saw it in the rock. I wasn't thinking like that. I, I mean, I wasn't, I, wasn't, I wasn't of Native American descent, so it just went over my head. So they would have had to be in the Washington N-words before it would upset me. So it just went over my head. But then now when I see other people's sensitivity to that, I say, okay, hey, yeah, maybe, you know, it's wrong. But the, a mascot, you know, all our kids, we got all kinds of mascots, Wolverine, Tigers, Bears, Lions, you know, Devils, Red Devils, Blue Devils, I mean, Demon Deacons. I mean, I mean, I, mean they, I don't know where these nicknames came up. That may be interesting something to do to find out who named these mascots and who came up with those school nicknames. I guarantee there wasn't no Christian problem. I don't think the average Christian, I don't think I would come up with a nickname and call my team the Demon Deacons. I just, I, I, that's like what you said about the judges. A Christian judge probably said, man, that, that just, anyway, Lisa, go ahead. Think about it. Just like Christians got their own lingo. They changed the devil egg to angel egg. I mean, for real. They changed it to angel egg. But they still eat them double egg. <laughs> And I don't know, and you know, and I don't know where to tell me not devil egg. You're right, you're right. They, 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 now, now all of a sudden, we've been eating eggs all our lives. And, and then all of a sudden, one day we woke up and say, oh, them devil eggs. <laughs> it's the same egg, but now we're just going to say, man, you bless them and eat them. Amen. It's, it's food. It's food. But I guess if I was Christian thinking at the time and had to come up with a name, I probably would have thought been more sensitive to that. But like I say, if a heathen is naming it, he ain't going to look for no Christian symbols and stuff like that. He's going he gonna, to he gonna operate in the realm that he live in. Amen. So, so now look, he says, when he lists all these things here, again, things that were probably going on there in Corinth, he says, he not, not only talk about the secular stuff, but you know, this issue, the, the elephant in the room for the church today is homosexuality. I mean, that's the elephant in the room. And churches are struggling how to deal with that elephant. Because the Bible says wrong, but culture is saying, well, maybe not so. Culture is saying, hey, you know, people ought to have a right 
to self-identify their sexuality. So therefore, Major, my son, if he was my son born today in this culture and climate, I look at Major and say, I ain't sure what Major want to be. So I'm going to wait till he get about eight years old, and then we're going to determine whether Major want to self-identify as a male or a female. Because he may be a female trapped in that male body. And see, some parents out there, you can get some of these young kids being born today, they don't have uh, identification on their birth certificate. Whereas when we were born, it was obvious. Biology told us. Girl, boy. But now we live in a time of non-binary. So you're not going to put me in the box that I'm a girl or a boy. I may want to be an other. Okay. So when you open that elephant up in the church, and then now you got to say, okay, well, like I tell the men, and I'm telling my position, hey, look, you can name yourself whatever you want. You can be the goodest looking girl in the world, and you want to be called Steve. I will call you Steve. But I ain't never going to call you him. I'll call you by whatever you want to be named, but what your biologists say, that's how I'm going to recognize you. So, I'm just telling where I'm at on that right now. Okay, okay. So, so uh, someone practices hom homosexuality, and the Bible says you look at the sin and not the person, and then that person says, okay, well, you know, I want to turn my life around, but they still consider themselves male like in male. What, what does the church say? If, if I want to try and get my life together, but I still feel the same way I felt, what, what do you do? Do you say, okay, well, you can't, not that you can't come to this church, but what will be your, what will be your take? You know, and, and like I say, that's the elephant in the room for a lot of churches right there because people are confused about all the literature that's being put out there from all type of sources. So everybody got a voice now. And, and what we have to try to do is say, what does, how does God see that? Right. So my position is, the, God is very binary. Right. When he created them, he created them male and female. He created them. You know, Jesus say, you either going to stand on a rock or you're going to stand on the sand. you either for me or against me. you either light or darkness. But the world now has said, no, there are a lot of more options out there. So now we got all these different names for people's identity. It's no longer just male and female. When, and I had to learn this because I was just looking at a TV show, and the girl said, well, I'm non-binary. I ain't never heard that before. What that mean? I'm thinking that's mathematics or some you know, mathematic term. So I had to, I, Siri, what does non-binary mean? Oh, wow. And once I heard that, then I started hearing a lot more. At first, I wasn't paying no attention to it. But when I heard that one time and looked it up, then now it catches my ears. Every time I hear somebody say, oh, non-binary, oh, non-binary, oh, non that, that term means that they don't care if you, I ain't going to identify as a male or a female. You ain't going to put me in that box. Okay. All I got to go back to is that God said he created them male and female. 
Thanks, Pastor. Miss Marvel, yes, uh, and April. I kind of want to um, touch what Major was saying. I think Major asked, what do you tell that person who wants to turn their life around, but um, they, they're struggling with yeah. temptation in that area? Yeah. And I, I, I would kind of say there's Christians who believe in God that struggle with some form of temptation the same way. Absolutely. And so um, you do, you have to come to God. You got to come to church. You got to hear the word so that the word can, can change you. The word can renew you and give you the tools that you need to fight temptation. And I think we shy away from that because sometimes we look at the outer appearance or, you know, instead of, hey, that person may really be struggling in that area and want to deal with that but doesn't know how right. and and we got to be able to 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 uh to witness to that to say that you know god is able amen and if it's something that you want he is able to uh, to help you to fight and be delivered from some things that he didn't mean for you exactly yeah. and, and so yeah. in that, that regard that was my question like so oh, yeah. is the church accept, accepting of doing that sometimes it seems that that it is, and sometimes it seems that it isn't. It, sometimes it, it, it's, it's like, okay, well, no, this is what the Bible says, and then it stops there. It's like Adrian said. Yeah, I think it goes. If you're gonna look at this whole scripture, you just not, you know, I stopped there at the elephant, but you kind of, kind of put all of them together and say, okay, what would I do for a drunkard? Why is a drunkard more accepting? If Major came in and said he had a drinking problem, it looked like I may be willing to tolerate Major and his drinking problem, longer than I'm willing to tolerate adultery. Or tolerate somebody who do these other things. So therefore, we have a tendency to say, okay, if if these sins are all lumped together, I'm a Paul. You know, he didn't got he don't have some of the little petty sins on there. So what I tell people is that obviously, sin is sin in God's eye because any time we transgress against God, it's sin. But all sins are not weighed the same. Just like a crime is a crime, but all crimes are not weighed the same. The penalty for jaywalking is not the same thing as for murder. But both of them are crimes. Right. And so therefore, sometimes when we look at the Bible, there are all kinds of things that are considered crime and considered sins. And I'm agreeing with Adrian is that the church got to figure out how to be accepted, but with the expectation that just like we change, you think the word of God is going to change, going to transform their lives if they come and listen to the word. But what can happen is that the minister can't compromise the word and start skipping. You know, it would be easy to say, man, when I read that, man, let's not even go there tonight in Corinthians. Let's skip chapter and go on to the next chapter because this is a tough chapter right here, you know, because I know that the, the church is confused because the world, see, the people that push certain agendas, when you control the airways, you can plant messages in people's mind to make things that used to be unacceptable acceptable because you see it so much and it becomes a norm. So when we were coming up, you never would have saw Minnie Mouse kissing Millie Mouse on Disney. We were never exposed to that because we were understanding that Minnie better be kissing Mickey. But now my grandchildren got to be exposed to Many kissing Millie. And, and I'm just using that example because when, when that happens like that, then now they're being conditioned to say, oh, 
That's okay. That's normal. And so if they don't have a parent to say, okay, we got to distinguish between what's maybe normal in the entertainment industry or all those other industries to what God say about that. So when you go to school, you ain't kissing little Billy. I mean, that's kind of how you. Now, do that mean I don't love my son or daughter when I'm telling them that? No, I'm teaching them. And I'm believing if we keep teaching them, they're going to try to do what's right. But you, you got to address those things that come against God's word. And I think, like you're saying, Adrian the Major, the, the way is how can the church do that in a way that the world don't put us on a guilt trip and say we are haters. And then now we want to put certain things that you say, now it's considered hate speech. Lisa? Because they don't want to get a lawsuit. I said, that's a girl, though. I said, you know, how can we go around that? I mean, I don't, I, I don't get that. If, if you work for a company and that's the company policy, you got to go with the company policy. Okay. okay. No different than when the Air Force started changing. When I came in the Air Force, you know, way back when in 71, 72, we weren't having these discussions. We weren't having no discussion about tattoos, rings, earrings, nose rings. We weren't having them discussions. Because we knew what the standard was. You're going to get your hair high and tight. You know, you ain't coming in here with no tattoos on and all that. So I, I've almost made it through my whole career without having to deal with that elephant when it came in the room. When Pearson became popular. And then now, someone who's in authority said, okay, times have changed. Now we got to change the regs. Well, when they change the regs, I got to comply with the regs or get out the company. And so when they change the regs, say, okay, you can wear earrings now. And if a man want to wear earrings, he can have one as long as you don't wear it on base. I'm pretty sure now you can wear it on base. I don't know what the earring policy is now in the military. You know, can, they st can men wear earrings when they're on duty in the uniform? Used to be a time you couldn't do it. You could get your ears pierced, but you couldn't wear the earring while you was in uniform. You had to be out of uniform, you put your earring in. I'm pretty sure that doesn't change now. Because when I was in, you couldn't get no sleeve tattoos. But now I see tattoos everywhere. From here, neck, everywhere. Some of them kids out there all tattooed up. They look, <laughs> look like an art board or something. Man, I'm like, wow. Man, have the government changed that much? Yes. If I was still in the government, I would have to live with that change. Because that, they set those rules. But now when I, if, if the rules of the government go against what God say, then either I got to leave the government or say, okay, God, while I'm out here, I'm just doing a job. But when I get back to where you reign in your kingdom, here's the rule we're playing by. Because this is what you say is right and wrong, and this is what we're trying to live by. So it's a tough position to be in, and especially now, because everybody, you know, and, 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 I, and I, can I get on the soapbox just for a minute? See, civil rights have become so broad now, everybody's hanging their banners on civil rights. When it, back in the old days, when you thought about civil rights, in my generation, it was keeping me out of hotels, making me go to the back door of a restaurant. And all that was based on the color of my skin. Had nothing to do with my sexual orientation or not. Just because I was black, I couldn't go in the front door of that hotel or the front door of that restaurant. Whereas if a person was gay back then and they was white, they could go right in the front door. 
because that wasn't a discriminator. Race was. Now, civil rights have been broadened that everything is kind of under that umbrella now. And then now, when minorities cry out by saying they used to be in jail, what you crying about? It just got watered down. The, the black card ain't worth nothing no more. I'm serious. That's, I'm serious. Because everything has been lumped under that. Instead of saying, okay, that, that the difference between me discriminating against Major because of the color of his skin versus because of his sexual orientation. And so when you see this play out, it comes all the way into business. So therefore, Finley want to get married, and he want me to make him a cake. And, and if I'm a business owner, and he want me to put two men on the top of his cake. I said, Finley, that, that go against what I believe, man. Well, Finley go file a lawsuit. I'm discriminating against him because I'm violating his civil right. When Finley could get the win by saying, hey, man, you make the best cakes in town, I'm going to put my own decorator up, decoration up there. Just make the cake. But no, Finley going to say, I'm going to make you put these two guys in there. I want you to put me and James up there. I'm just, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just, I mean, I'm just, that, that just rolled off my tongue like that. No, no, that just, <laughs> scratch that from the record. It's in the atmosphere. But, 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 but what I'm trying to say, and when you see those things play out like that in the news and all that, it started to say, okay, man, there's a war going on between what God say and what the world is saying. And the church kind of got to find that happy medium. Are we going to try to do what God say and still love people and show them their appreciation, love and all that? Because you know, ain't going to hate nobody. Hate is a sin too. So that, that, that is not the thing. The thing is that on the extreme side of the church, there are people out there who do espouse hate against people like that. But that, that, that is never my intent to hate nobody for what they want to do because sin is sin. So if, if I'm going to hate one, you got to hate the glutton too. You just can't pick the big sins that you think because then now it looks like now we're trying to play God. And so going back to Adrian, then we're going to read on and say, now look, because now if a person come, if I came to church with a propensity to steal, you know, I, just, I, I was just brought up in a neighborhood where we stole and I got this. Well, when I come to Jesus, you don't expect me to come to church and then, you know, major lay his phone down. And I don't walk out with his phone. So one time I may say, okay, Major, uh, you know, uh, boldly, you know, took Major's phone. Then next week, I don't took Greg's phone. Sooner or later, you're going to say, hey, look here, Doc. <laughs> Either we're going to put something out and say, everybody lock your phone up, because Bolden in the house, or Bolden, you got to go. <laughs> That's a small suit. Still a, still a man. <laughs> Still a, still a major Apple 14, that's a small suit, okay? But, but the expectation would be that Bolden need to stop stealing. And if we got to put training and culture, you know, and, and, and teach him, hey, that's, that's not what God say. So these issues are real, and they're real today. But he said that when it comes to our inheritance, something that is waiting for us, man, he's saying that, man, some of these things could maybe mess up our inheritance. He said, now look, I like verse 11. He says, some of you were once like that. Some of those things on that top of that list up there? Yeah. Adrian, like you said, not like that, but to support what you just said. 
but you were cleansed. That's what you said should happen after we realized we were like that. Now we ought to be cleansed by the power of the word and the power of the Holy Spirit to try to help us to get away from that. You were made holy. You were made right with God by calling on the name of the Lord, Jesus Christ, and by the Spirit of our God. So therefore, you need help. That person got to allow the Spirit of God to deal with their temptation. And sometimes, he's going to say here in a few minutes, sometimes dealing with your temptation is physical separation. You can't tempt yourself and say, well, I'm going to just go out there and God got this. No, you know God ain't got you yet. I don't need that. No, no, no. The Bible says, why tempt God? You know he ain't got you yet. You ain't delivered. So ain't no need you even going there. Oh, I went, I went into the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Yeah, but you, you knew you wasn't delivered. You, you, you knew it wasn't going to take but one little, this and you're going to be binging again. So, so he says, now look, he started talking about how to avoid certain things in verse 12. He says, you say, I am allowed to do anything. That's kind of common, man. This is my body. I do what I want with it. I'm allowed to do anything. But Paul come back and say, but not everything is good for you. All, and even though I am allowed to do anything, I must not become a slave to anything. So anything that controls you more than God is your master. Amen. And he says in some Bible, I like the way it says, all things are beneficial, all things are, are, are expedient, but all things are not beneficial. Meaning that yeah, you got freedom. Major, if you want to go out there and, and get, you know, drunk as you want to right now, you can do that. Ain't no angel going to come and stop you. But that freedom shouldn't put you in a position where you're going to go against God's word. Amen. So because some things uh, are, are not unlawful, it may not be expedient to your best interest to do it. Right. So there are some things that may not even be against the law. But you know that if you do it, it's going to take you to a place to make you break the law. That's right. That's right. It, Finley, it may not be a problem for you to have a nice Chardonnay with your steak dinner. But if you know it's going to take you to the whole bottle, you may need to have some water and lemon. <laughs> if it's going to take you to a place. I mean, but if you've been delivered and you don't get drunk, God ain't got no problem with you. Because the sin is drunkenness. Not the fact that someone have a drink of wine with their dinner. There are some countries, man, they drink wine for breakfast, everything over there. You go to Italy and some of them countries. Mike, Mike, Major, Mike, Mike. But it starts with one drink with, with dinner, and then it, three a week, <laughs> and then every day, and then you're an alcoholic. I, okay, okay, I'm just saying. I'm just saying, for me, I'll say that. Yeah, yeah, you got to make that for, you. For, for me, it may start with, I have one drink of wine. And it's like we said last week, you know, sober mind. You, you have to know what your sober mind is. Now, you can fool yourself and justify it by saying, oh, it's just one glass. Well, how is that one glass making you feel? <laughs> Is it, if it's making you feel like, well, maybe I can get another one. I'm going to still be all right. And the next thing you know, you sleep. 
So, so you have to know what your sober mind is. I'm just talking about me still. I'm talking, yeah, yeah, I'm talking yeah. about me. I'm talk, I have to know what my sober mind is. Now, I can justify by saying, oh, all I had was to you. I can say, Pastor, well, all I had was one. But, you know, what did that one glass make me feel like? That's right. Was I out of my sober mind? It's me. And, that, and that's what you're saying. You will come back and say, it's lawful, but I choose not to do it. Because I know that, hey, my body weight, mass, and all that says, based on the chemistry and all this, that I can drink 14 ounces and I should still be okay. But now I know that I've had six and I'm starting to feel a little buzz coming on. So I don't need to try to see can I do the other eight ounces. I need to, I got to stop right here. But, but even, even without the legal limit, your mind is going to tell you. If, if your mind is telling you that this much wine is making you feel different, Everybody's mind don't work the same, man. That's mean? what I'm saying. But, that's, but you know what your mind is making you that's feel. That's right. So this you, is, you know, for me, yes. if my mind says, turn the music up louder, you just had to have a glass of wine, then, uh, you know, uh, maybe not. Maybe the same for me. That, and, and again, I think that's why it's important for us to realize that the Holy Spirit works with our conscience. So if our conscious mind is convicting us of something, even though it may not be unlawful, but if your conscience is convicting you that, hey, this is not right for me, then, that's, then for you to do something that your spirit is telling you is not right, it's sin to you. Right. It's sin to you. Right. But to, it may not be sin to Fred. Yeah. So if Fred wants to say, well, hey, Major, I don't care what you think, man. I'm going to go and drink my eight ounces. I done paid seven fifty for this eight ounce glass of wine. I'm drinking mine. You got to forgive Fred. Let Fred go ahead. Because Fred say, I ain't, ain't going to leave you drunk. I'm going to be okay. I know who my limit is. I don't feel driven in the head. I'm okay. Now, I wish, like Paul said sometimes, I wish everybody was like me or like him. Don't drink nothing. But if, if you're not like me and, and going to drink something, at least know your limits and don't get drunk. Because right. drunkenness is a sin. You know, and, 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 and a lot of times, you know, I've been in churches where we, we weren't allowed to drink nothing. I mean, that was the extreme. I mean, we go out to eat dinner. We in Spain and know everybody over in Spain loves sangria. And we sitting in the restaurant, all of us sitting there like we all want to cope. And we know some of them, and we know some of them folks want to, they drink, got a refrigerator full of sangria. But because we all out together, we sit there. And they told us we couldn't watch television. So, you know, ladies, y'all couldn't even get your hair, you know, mess with perm. Couldn't put on too much makeup. See, I mean, and so when we were in that culture, we all acted like that. I mean, we did that. But when we got home, we all had our wine. We all drank a little wine. But when we out together, we didn't do it. So I think it would have been more honest instead of hypocritical for us to understand, hey, here's the limits, and then therefore. But when I, because I was brought up in that culture, that's the way we did it. So everybody played by those rules. You didn't come there thinking you're going to order some wine when you're out with the church family. You just didn't do that. Mm-hmm. You know, but what would you say to that person who has that same mentality when it comes to the sexual sin and homosexuality? Because majority of times, you know, majority of Christians that you know get close to the Word of God, they have some type of slave mentality for whatever their vice is, as you say. Mm-hmm. They find a way through God to work it on out. You know, but majority, but so what would you say to that person who's going through that? I would, I would try to say that person. You know, it. it a slave means that something is controlling you. Mm-hmm. 
then you're going to have to try to get yourself in a position or a place where whatever that trigger is, is not controlling you. So that may mean I have to change some environment, change some people that I run around with, change some things I do. And that's an on-purpose action because now I want to change. If I don't want to change, I'm going to continue to do what I've been doing, and I'm going to get the same results. So Paul has said, hey, some things are expedient to you, but you don't want to get to the position where you're a slave to it, no matter what it is. If it's controlling you and you can't do without it or you'll go crazy because you can't find it, then you're a slave. I mean, some of us can become slaves to our phones. I mean, some people just come unglued. They lose the phone for about 10, 15 minutes, man. It's almost like they can, they can misplace their they, they five-year-old and don't show no emotion. Well, he's right here somewhere. But then when the phone goes, they're tearing the whole house up. <laughs> but that slave thing is true. But, it, but in order to break that, it takes the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, I don't know about all this, these therapies out there. You know, sometimes the church get in trouble in this area because they start having these therapy sessions to say that we're going to theorize or therapize that out of you. And other people say, no, you can't do that. I'm saying the word of God got to be the word of God. You got to still present the word of God to people. You got to still believe that the Holy Spirit is a change agent. And you got to believe that we all were born with some type of propensity to do evil. And we change, and I think anybody else, if they want to, can change. Now, I, again, I'm not the, 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 all the medical people who can say, well, that, uh, that's where the argument gets so deep and convoluted that you got to just go, back, hey, well, this is what the Bible says. That's all I can stand on. I'm not the person, you know, you can pull me down a rabbit hole and talk about X and Y chromosomes and how close they are and they can bleed over and you could really be, have one more X than Y and even though you came out a little boy, but you really that extra Y or X or whatever it is, making you act like this. Okay, yeah, I, I, yeah that, that may be true. All I know is the biology. When I look down there, I see a boy. I can't see the chromosome behind that. I just see what I think would be a boy. So I'm going to name him a boy's name. I ain't going to be confused and say, well, I'm going to go unisex with his name, so you know, it's just in case. No. Now, there are some names, okay, they're just unisex names, but I ain't going to be, the reason for doing that is not going to be that he, ain't, he may not be sure who he is. Now, there are cases out there where babies are born with both sets of genitalia. Those are rare cases. They don't happen every day. And so in those cases, ha having not been in those parents' positions, I would, I would hope that they would get counsel to determine how they're going to deal with that situation. You know, and whatever that counsel is, if it's wise counsel, they say, hey, you need to wait till some things start developing, and then you can get some idea. I mean, I mean whatever they decide. I, I've never been in that case, so I wouldn't want to try to say, what should people do? But I'm pretty sure there got to be counselors out there who have talked people through those tough situations like that. Brother Greg? I want to follow up on what uh, Brother Finley, the question he brought about uh, sex. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> Excuse me. So when they talked about fornicators, <clears throat> I know the answer, but I just want you to speak on this. Sex with your ex. Sex with your ex-spouse. I know that's considered... <clears throat> as considered as fornication as opposed to adultery. Is that correct? That's some that will probably say that if you're no longer married, no, you know, because the, the strong line is that what we're going to see here later 
is there's a mindset that the reason that sex was put into play was for marriage and procreation. But then there's an argument now that would say, hey, you know, there are some people that don't want no babies. So that means they're never supposed to enjoy the pleasure of sex? Ooh. And then, you know, if you, with your ex now, if she's no longer your wife, is that considered having sex outside of marriage? Based on the definite purity, Miss Marvel, go ahead. You can see that mic up. You ready? You ready? You ready? Go ahead, Miss Marvel. <laughs> Help Pastor Bolden out right here. Greg got me on the ropes. <laughs> okay. I just want to say yes, because of the simple reason you're still not married to that person. So in God's sight, uh, you're still sinning because you have you're divorced. You're not married to that person, so you're still committing adultery. Uh, fornication at least, fornication now, not adultery because you were married to that person. But you can't go back and have sex with that person and uh, think that God is pleased with that. But as we were talking and as Finley was saying, when we come into the church and you find the homosexuals or the different people that come in and sin, we can't turn them away. Amen. We have to let them come in because this is the hospital. Amen. And they're coming because they're hurting on the inside and some of them really don't know what the word of God says. So many times we think people know what this word says. There's so many people have not taken time to read what the word of God said. They just go on what people tell them. So we have to educate them and tell them that God meant what he said. He did not uh, deviate from what he said for today's time. People say today is changed. Okay, God is acceptable for you to be with the man or for you to be with the woman. No, it's not. God's word hasn't changed today. It's still the same. So we have to really stand on the word of God, and we have to educate them, and we have to still love them. We've got to still love them. We can't look at them with a jaundiced eye and talk about them because we were one day in sin. And Amen. even though we weren't living in like a um, homosexual, at, uh, but we were adulterers, we were liars, we were cheaters, and maybe even stealers one day. And then God turned us around. So we have to believe that God can also reach them. If we do what we're supposed to be and love upon them and show them in the word of God, not, not what our word says, but what the word of God says, yeah. we can help them to turn from their ways. And, you know, and, and Ms. Marvel, I'm agreeing with you 100%. What, what convolutes that sometime in the system that we live in is that, you know, when Ms. Marvel is a drunk, she's working solo. You know, I've got to just worry about she's going to influence somebody else to drink with her or something like that. But because our country got different laws in different states, that is legal in some states. So it's not as easy if someone came to your church and they illegally married, and that marriage go against that, what the Bible say. They'll say, I am legally married. The state of whatever California, New Jersey, New York, Florida, Georgia, recognize that. And so now, in order to undo that, you got to go to the legal system. You just can't come to church and say, we're going to pray that off you. Y'all got to make a conscious decision. Did we really, should we have really gotten married in the first place? That's the tough one right there. And, and how churches handle that or how people handle that, 
then what's going to happen is that there are churches and denominations that, that are performing same-sex marriages. So what's going to happen is if things shake out, people are going to find where they fit. They're going to figure it out. They're going to figure out where they fit. Hey, and then now I can go over to church X because they marry same-sex couples, whereas church Y don't. And I will share with somebody, I think today, uh, just before this, is that in America, the only thing that make when you get married in church legal is because they allow pastors to sign your documentation saying you are legally married. Eventually, you can get married at the courthouse, you can get married at the justice of the peace, you can get married by a lawyer, you can get married by a lot of folks. And I got a feeling that this is going to get so tough in the church is that churches are not going to be able to legally marry people anymore if they, if they don't marry everybody. Meaning that if I marry, you know, you know, Marie and John, then I got to marry John and John. And when churches start saying, no, I can't marry John and John, then they're going to say, okay, well, you can no longer perform legal marriages. All you can do is have ceremonies. So people come here and get their ceremony done, but their paperwork going to probably be signed down to the courthouse by a lawyer or at a particular church that does that. That's, how I, I, that's why I think this is headed for in America, because the lines are pretty deep drawn in that divide on that issue. It's just pretty divided. Pastor, to, to uh, Greg's point, so does the church, the Bible of God, recognize divorce? He, he's saying, so, so in, I guess, if the Bible or God doesn't recognize divorce, then, okay, once he's married, then he's married. Um, basis. The Bible does tell you a little bit about divorce. It says for certain things, you can get a divorce. For certain things, God gives you those things that you can get a divorce. So God honors that. Yeah, but, but I'm saying, okay, let's just say he got, he got divorced because they didn't get along. That, and, and, that wasn't and, a reason. That's not a reason in the Bible to get a divorce. So in, in, my question is, so in God's eyes, or in the Bible, the Bible didn't say, well, because they don't get along, you go get a divorce, then hey, okay. The, he said it's X. Okay, what, what has happened in some of these areas, and I'll, I'll move on, is some strong churches, denominations, have interpreted what Jesus taught in the Sermon on the Mount, that if you get divorced and remarry, it is sin, if you get divorced without a cause. And so in the Catholic church, if you were brought up in the Catholic faith and you got a divorce and there was no cause, then now you could be excommunicated from the church if you got remarried. Because they still see you married to that other person until that person died if you don't have grounds. It ain't no, hey, we just couldn't speak this morning and we just tired each other and so we out. Now, they say, Jesus said, you know, if you commit adultery, you do these things, then okay, yeah. He said, Moses, because of the hardness of your heart, he let, he let y'all got divorced everything. Right. But that ain't divorce. God never intended that. that that's my question. So and, but, but because the law that we live under allows people to get divorced. In the state of Florida, you don't even need strong justification to get divorced. All you get to do is fill out the paperwork and go down to the courthouse and don't fight about it, and you can get divorced. And so churches, I would have to, if you say you've been divorced, I'm not, I wouldn't play by 
the rules that the Catholics play by and say that, okay, Major, now if you ever go out there and get married again, you're committing a sin because you're still married to your first wife. I, I just don't interpret that that way, that, that, that that's what Jesus was trying to get across. But if some people do, that's why they play by those rules. And that's why in the Catholic Church, they don't use the word divorce a lot. They use the word annul. So what happens is, you, there used to be a time you're only supposed to be married for X number of months, and then if you get divorced, they just call it annulment. But after you've been married for four or five years, it ain't supposed to be called annulment. But they still come up with ways to stamp it as a null so that by the priest and the, and the hierarchy, so that you can still come to Catholic Church. Because if they don't do that, then theoretically you're supposed to be excommunicated from the church. We don't play like that in non-denominational churches. Most of them don't play by those rules. But the Catholic Church is kind of strict on that. Now, I, wouldn't, I, would, I, would, I don't know how the Jewish faith handles that because I know a lot of things that was brought over in the Catholicism came out of Judaism. So, yeah. Convoluted, get tough in here. So let me go ahead and re read on so we can finish this. Man, y'all having a good conversation tonight. Look at this. He says, now, verse 13, I'm going to read real quick. He says, you say food was made for the stomach and the stomach for food. That was just a, 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 a way of saying that, hey, okay, physical appetites is physical appetites. It ain't no big deal. Just like eating food ain't no big deal, the stomach ain't no big deal, sex ain't no big deal. You know, it was made for the, made for the body. Then Paul said, this is true. Though someday God will do away with both of them, your stomach and your body, and the food. <laughs> God going to do with all of it because you ain't going to take none of that to heaven with you. So now look, he says, but you can't say that our bodies are made for sexual immorality. Wow. Ooh, your body was not made for sexual immorality. They were made for the Lord, and the Lord cares about our bodies. So God got a vested interest in how you treat your body, especially when it comes to sexual immorality. Because he made them, he created them, he made them, created them male and female, he created them, and then out of that one man, because in the spirit they was created at the same time, but then when he formed Adam out of the dirt, then later on he brought Eve out of Adam, which is the mystery of how when two people come together and have sex, they bring that, that union of oneness. The man and the woman joining together again as it was in the original. So that's why having sex is more than just a physical activity. It's a spiritual thing. That's why some people are wrecked now because they done had sex with too many folk and they got all them spirits lingering. It does something to you psychologically. It does something to you emotionally. And so it is something that, that, that can be transferred when that oneness comes together. He said, now, they were made for the Lord, and the Lord cares about them. He said, look at this. And God will raise us up from the dead by the, his power, just as he raised the Lord from the dead. So now transition to, you know, all of us are going to be resurrected one day if we believe in the Lord and we're going to have new bodies uh, at that time. He says, now look, don't you realize that your bodies are actually part of Christ? Now, this is where you got to get spiritual and, and buy into this, because if you don't see your body as being a part of Christ's body, you'll think your body is just your body, and then therefore you can do whatever you want to do with you. It's my body. I can do whatever I want with it. And that's the argument that, that goes back and forth now on the abortion argument. Hey, it's my body. Nobody should be able to tell me what to do with my body. 
Okay, got it. Your body. So that's what they were no different than what these folks here are saying. My body. But they don't know that your body belongs to the, especially if you save. Now, if you're a heathen and you don't know, that's one thing. But if you save, you got to say, hey, my body belongs to the Lord. So therefore, before I do anything in my body, I need to consult him. Amen. I just can't haul off and do something. He says, and God will raise from the dead by his power, just as he raised our Lord from the dead. Now look at this, verse 13. Don't you realize that your body are actually a part of Christ? Should a man take his body, which is part of Christ, and join it to a prostitute? He come back and said, no, never. Well, that don't, I'm pretty sure when he said that, those people who were the temple prostitutes right there, they heard that, they, what? He just said, he, what? We can't have, what? Don't he know we've been practicing this ritual for 20 years? This is how we get down in this church. What? He says, never, and we got all these prostitutes hanging around the front of the church. And all of a sudden now he's telling us, Never. Wow. The problem is in America, you know, we're, we're, we're a society where, you know, we're kind of free, free going. We don't, we don't stress these things no more like we're coming up. And when we was little, we stress tried to teach sexual purity. And I'm pretty sure most parents do now. But there are so many other influences out there that say, hey, everybody's doing it. Ain't no big deal. Hey, you, you weird. What, what's wrong with you? Don't you know that God created pleasure? He wants you to have some pleasure. Yeah, but he created pleasure for marriage. So the either the body the flesh will say, yeah, I love pleasure. So God had me in mind. No, no, no. Now because we go against God's will, because our will overrides his. So, no... You know, I, I don't know what they're teaching little kids coming up nowadays. You know, when they get to school, when parents tell them, hey, try to remain celibate until you get married. I don't even know parents even having that conversation with their kids. They just threw in a towel. Say, hey, by 14, 15, you just assume somebody done got tagged. That's a tagging age. You ain't assuming that, hey, you know, I got a virgin in my house, and I'm going to do everything I can to keep her or him a virgin. Now, if he get tagged, it ain't going to be because he didn't know. But I'm going to tell him, hey, you need to wait till you get married if you want to do that. But everything they see on TV said, nope, nope, nope. She got to have it. He got to have it. And they ain't married. Can't get enough. So when all these things and influence are coming to our kids' mind, if they don't have the word of God and their parents are not putting the word of God in them, the chance of them growing up and marrying and being a virgin now Less than 10%. Amen. Amen. Ooh, I had that conversation with my daughters when they was, got a certain age. Uh, I, I took it upon myself to tell each one of them about, you know, I told them how men operate. My conversation was this. Hey, can I say it like it, I said it to them? All they want is your draws. Once they get them, ball game's over. 
I, that's just how I said it. So, that, that, that's what their mindset is. It's a conqueror's mentality. And so therefore, as long as you hold on that, you win in the war. But the minute you don't, then he'll move on to another target. And that was a hard conversation to have. But look, their decisions was not on my hand anymore because they go out there and decide they're going to do otherwise. They can't come back and say, but my dad had sent me out ignorant. No. Hey, I told you, this is how the game going to be played. Now it's up to you to figure out how you're going to play that game. Okay, I was saved on a preacher. That's right. Yeah. Let's say you weren't saved. What would that conversation would have been like if you had sons? <laughs> if I wasn't saved, that's a good one. I probably would have been echoing what my uncles and elders echoed to me. And that is, and that, hey, yeah, you're 14, 15 years old, boy. You need to go on to America. So your oats. That's kind of how I was brought up. The, the, the older guys told us, hey, when you get this age, it's time for you to start doing these things. Nobody told us that we should refrain from that because we weren't hanging around no people who were refraining. That's right. That's right. So, so if I was unsaved, that's kind of the message I would say, you ain't, you ain't interested in no girls yet? Because that's how I was asked me. Hey, that was my point. Pastor, my point. That, was, that was the thing. I mean, we were told something different. You know, the girls might have been told, hey, you saved yourself. Yes, ma'am. The girls might have been told to save themselves, but on the other hand, the boys were told, go conquer as many as you can. And that has been, the, 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 I guess, the hypocrisy in our teaching, because you're right. Everybody want to challenge their boys to be boys and men to be men, but they want to protect their daughters. No different me. I tried to, my sister just me and her. I did everything I could. I kept the wolves off her in the neighborhood. But I was a hunter. But but I wasn't gonna let nobody hunt her. So so it was like I was a hypocrite. Hey, I can mess with your sister, but you ain't. No, I nope, nope. She off limits. And so that's the message that was kind of messed messed up. We want to protect our girls, but then there's other people out there who don't think, you know. That's how Adrian, go ahead, let me finish reading. I think it's the same. I think it's the same way now. Whether Christian household or not, I think um, I don't think uh, young boys get the same conversation that girls do. Maybe in some, but I think it's a little different where the girl might get the stricter, you know, end of the conversation, and the guy has a little bit more freedom. When if the young men were getting some of the same conversation, the war that pastor the word pastor used, the war wouldn't be so hard for a young lady if the young men were getting that same absolutely teaching. Absolutely. So let me just go ahead and read 16 through 20 so we can finish up and let you out of here. He says, and don't you realize that if a man joins himself to a prostitute, uh, he becomes one body with her. For the scripture says the two are united into one. Going back to Genesis. He says, but the person who has joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. Then he come back and say, hey, when it comes to sex, run. This is the only place in the Bible God said, man, you, he don't say stand here and fight. When you do all you can, put on the whole armor and do all you can to stand. And when you stand, still stand. No. When it comes to sex, got to get some hit the brick. Got to got to run, Jesse. Got to <laughs> go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. What 
what happens when you don't run? And, and, you, and, you, and you gave in to the temptation? Yeah, you got to repent. You got to repent because that repentance, God understands that we're going to error. So the thing is, is that not to try to practice something, but we should, when we do error, we got to repent. We got to say, hey, you know, and then if you're dealing with somebody, both of y'all got to be in agreement. You know, your partner, you got to say, look, we, we are in agreement. We're making an agreement. This is the last time. We're drawing the line of sand. We, we, and and if, we, if we can't, we, then whenever we're together, we're going to have a chaperone. We're going to have somebody with us. Because if not, I got I to gotta run. <laughs> can't stand here and tell me, I done got the whole arm on. I'm going to do all I can to stand. Paul said, you better run. <laughs> That's what they said, they said, run. That's the only place in the Bible where he said, run. Run from sexual sin. No other sin is so clearly affect the body as this one does. For sexual immorality is sin against your own body. Don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? You, you do not belong to yourself. That's what we have to understand. For God has brought you with a high price. So you must honor God with your body. Amen. Wow. And that's, that's, the, that's the toughness of that. But again, that is a tough area because this still plaguing the church and the world today. I mean, just... Just the way it is, but we have to stand on God's word. Do what he say. Run. Don't run. Don't even call Adrian on the prayer line. Come put me on the prayer line. Run. You ain't need to take a break. Run. That's what the Bible said. Run. I like that one. Because I don't hear folks say, well, I'm going to just stand and do all I can to stand. No. Run. And you know, like I say, sometimes, you know, in the old countries, when I was overseas and I'm through, and I know we done went over, but just good information. When I was in Turkey, these people play these games really for real. They expect people to be virgins when they get married. And so therefore, when they start dating, they have chaperones. They don't go on unescorted dates. Someone is always with them. And when they get married, they have to present the wedding sheets. That's right. Because there must be some blood whenever a covenant is cut. And so therefore, if a young lady is a virgin when she gets married, the first time she has sex, she's going to bleed. So after you get married, your first night, you bring the sheets back to the families and let them see. That's antiquated. That would fly in America. But that's how it was over there. That's how serious they saw this. But because, you know, we're living in a different time now, we don't think like that, but those folks still took some of this stuff serious. Okay. Tough chapter, it get a little bit easier next week, but this was a tough chapter this week, amen? All right, let me give you some announcements real quick before we got to get out of here.